Welcome back to Mishpachas, take two, where you get to meet the personalities, the names, and the faces familiar to you from the magazine. In real life, today's guest, Maury Litwack, is very special. Besides the fact that he's appeared in a Mishpacha cover, so much of his activity and so much of the scope of what he does every day appears in various ways in the magazine every week, because so much of what he's involved in is the stuff we're involved in. It's a pleasure to welcome Maury Litwack to I'm studio. I'm so today. excited to be here, Shirley. Yeah, this is, is a real treat. It is very exciting for me to be yeah, able to Yeah, it is from it. the pages of Mishpacha into the screen. To be able to shoot with you is very yeah. special. I have so many questions, so let's get into it. Tell me, Let's tell go. me, Maury. Who are you? What do you do? Uh, my name is Maury Litwack. I'm the executive director uh, of an organization called the Teach Coalition, which is a project of the Orthodox Union. And uh, I'm very, very proud to really represent the CLAL when it comes to uh, government affairs. And really with the focus has been on trying to get uh, funding and aid to the yeshivas. So that's the my bread and butter. My passion of that comes from growing up with knowing and realizing the struggle that my parents had with paying tuition. Uh, having four kids myself and realizing that struggle with my uh, uh, my own pocketbook. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. I have so many questions. Go, you're, go. You're, you're a guy who raised hundreds of millions of dollars. I wouldn't say raised. Hundreds of millions of dollars have come through your efforts to yeshivas over the last few years. Yes. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, would say I would say that to our Over efforts, $500 million? We're, we're very, very proud of that, yeah. But that doesn't really affect anybody's tuition. I'm paying the same tuition I always paid. So what, what, how does that change anybody's tuition? The yeshivas are maybe getting more and maybe getting less. <laughs> no parent is getting a break because yeshiva got funding. I, I, I think it depends. It depends. Uh, for example, in Florida, their funding goes through scholarship funds. In Pennsylvania, it goes through scholarship funds. In Pennsylvania, one out of every four kids is on scholarship. In, in Florida, uh, it's very high, it's higher than that. Now it's in New York. New York, you live in Teaneck. So the, exactly. In New York and New Jersey, it hasn't reached the pocketbook of the parents yet. Now you can say if, you, if you're getting special services, if you're um, getting technology funding or security funding, it is impacting your children, and that's cost that that's you're not great. paying, which is a big deal. But I agree with you. I think it's not impacting the, the, the way it should be, but we believe it will, and we believe it will because America is the only country with a tuition crisis. The other countries don't have a tuition crisis okay. because they're funding it. The funding... Non-public schools through government does, funding. Does Canada count as a country? Canada, depending on where you are in Canada. Some, yes, some better than others. Okay, I hear you. Um, okay, so you're saying in theory, first of all, that's an important point you're making already, which is this should, you, you're saying that in two years from now, yeshiva parents will be paying less tuition than they are now? I think that I can't promise yeshiva parents to pay less than they are now because ultimately, what, I, what I can say is every single yeshiva parent should have the choice of where they want to send their child to. If a yeshiva, the reason I can't promise it is because Many parents want a, a yeshiva that has all these bells and whistles. Many parents want a, a, a I'll give you an example of this. People in, in Teaneck, for example, complain about uh, tuition. So I say tuition cheaper in Queens or tuition cheaper in Lakewood. Well, I don't want Lakewood. Lakewood. That's not specifically what I want. Or people in Lakewood complain to me about it. And I say, well, you can go over here for a different school. At the end of the day, every parent should be able to send their child to every, any, any school that they want and it's at an affordable price. But right now, I think what's happening is, is that either we have issues, issues in communities like Lakewood, where there aren't enough schools, there aren't enough resources even, or we have in, institutions in Teaneck and other places where the tuition is through the roof. Right. The, the tuition in modern Orthodox system is way higher than in It's Yeshiva, almost right? double, yeah. Because they invest in a secular I, studies I think program? that many times the special services are, are significantly higher, uh, and I think that they invest in, in parts of the secular education um, maybe the classroom from a classroom perspective, but again, like let's look at let's look at the five towns. Let's look at the five towns in Farakaway. The five towns in Farakaway has yeshivish, has modern orthodox, has everything. 
tuition is more than it is in Lakewood and other places. Right. So I think, it's, again, geographically, you go out of town and tuition is higher than it is in places, certain places in town. Right. So at the end of the day, tuition is, is high everywhere. But that's your goal? That's what motivates you when you wake up in the morning to bring down tuition and help yeshivas? What motivates me is to, to I believe fundamentally speaking that we have to, pro, to tilt the needle in such a significant way that people can open up a school and know that a third of it or 50% of it can be covered by government funding or that a current yeshiva knows that there's a, a point in which government funding is going to exceed the fundraising. Uh, so let me ask you an obvious question. You look around at the world, at the climate of America and elsewhere. This is essentially a right-wing Republican type of cause, private schools. You see the direction that this country is going. You know that there's going to be more and more left-wing politicians and more and more left-wing agenda being pushed. What does that spell for you? Why are you even bothering? I'm, gl- I'm glad you asked that question. It's funny, by the way, when we were starting this operation, uh, people said to me, go to Florida. I grew up in Ohio. Go to red states. Go, And that's where you, you're needed, Maury. Um, and in those red states. And I was super excited about doing New York and New Jersey because 75, 80% of the yeshiva world lives in New York and New Jersey. So I'm from out of town. I appreciate out of town. But practically speaking, if you want to solve this crisis, you got to stay in town and do that to solve it for 75, 80% of the people. And in order to do that, you have to deal with left-wing politicians. You have to deal with Democrats. But remarkably speaking, we've had a lot of success. In New York, there because? Re- be- I'll tell you why. Because, because uh, I'm going to talk about the success first, and I'll tell you why. In New York and New Jersey, we figured out ways to pay for Lamode Chol in both of these states. In New York, yeshivas are getting reimbursed for the, co- the cost of their science, technology, engineering, and math teachers. Science teacher, math teacher, not fully reimbursed, yeah. but yeshivas now you have, they're getting $200,000, $400,000, $500,000. We are on a trajectory where this will get paid for by the state. And they're getting paid at the rates that the public school Because you present it, not as because, a religious... Because it's not being presented as... as vouchers don't work in, in blue states. They don't work. Vouchers work in red states very well. But they don't work in blue states because you, A, have teachers' union, which are extraordinarily powerful in those states. And, B, you have a perspective... Where it's wrong, but you have a perspective that we don't want to do this, this gimme or giveaway to the, um, the non-public schools. And we change that perspective. It's something I'm extremely proud of. Most of the people championing our legislation in New York and New Jersey, um, let's just talk, let's take New York, for example. You look at the champions we had in New York, and we had left-wing Democrats supporting STEM funding because we built a coalition. We weren't antagonistic towards the teachers' union. It's a completely different playbook. So I think, yes, if you're using the same playbook you're going to go use in— Give me an idea of what you mean a different playbook. Give me one practical example. If you're doing school choice politics in Alabama— you're going to say we want vouchers or bust. You're going to say that this is us versus the teachers' union. If you're doing this in New York, you cannot be you cannot be saying it's us versus teachers' union. What you're saying you is you have to be be making arguments that are about um, coalition building, which we've done, which is the Catholic community, the Islamic community, other communities besides for just the from community, and you have to be doing it in a way where it's not about just vouchers, but it's about a myriad of services: security, technology, nursing, and now STEM so that you can hit this from a thousand different angles. And I, and I think that that's what has created and led to our success so far in the blue states. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. You're, you're a very bright guy, and you're one of the, I really have spoken to you many times over the years and reached out to you for help and things, and your, your understanding of- This of part's staying thinking. in the interview, right? I mean, I need this part for, for in-laws you're a very bright and, guy. and a bunch of people. Okay, good. Um, with the in-laws, it probably won't help, well, but with other yeah. people, maybe. Why would you choose to give your life to, I don't know how much you get paid, and if it's livable enough to pay tuition in Teaneck for four kids, but you could be doing a lot of things with, with your context and with your brains and with your understanding. You could be lobbying. You could do other things. Why are you staying in Klaal life? 
So there's two separate pieces to it. So I think fundamentally speaking... You're a talented guy. I appreciate it. I think fundamentally... No, no, sorry. I just want to say one thing. I'm sorry, because I don't want to get in trouble. Yeah. A lot of people in Cloud Life are talented people, but they have reasons for doing it. I don't mean to say, why are you in Cloud Life if you're talented? I mean, what motivates you? I know what motivates them. What, 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 why do you do this? I think that the... the Someone once told me who worked for Michael Bloomberg, the reason why Michael Bloomberg became mayor of New York was because he realized that with government, he could provide more resources and more help than he ever could by writing a check. And we're talking about one of the richest people to ever live. Similarly, um, we joke sometimes, and our staff jokes about this, but, but in a lot of cases, we are one of the biggest contributors or donors to a yeshiva or to a community. That's, that's big time. You can do big time things, much bigger than if I was a, running a successful business and able to write a check. And so I like that. I think that that's winning, and I think that that's great. The other piece of this is that I fundamentally think that our community, there's so many gvirim. There's so many people who want to change, who, who want to make money appear, want to provide to the community. But then when they come to cloud work and they want to do things and they want to reach ideas, they're frustrated because they can't get the idea off the ground. I believe fundamentally to treat cloud work like a business and you could be successful. And to me... I measure my success the same way I would running a business. Am I winning? Am I, am I doing it in a way where it's, it's a good cost-benefit analysis for the community? And if I'm not, if I'm simply around, and I, I'm, I, I always worry that I'm gonna be on one of these fundraising campaigns where it's like, Maury needs money and someone's like shrugging when they, when they pick up the phone. That's the last thing I wanna do. And if, we're, if you're treating it like you would a business where you admit to people, we've had failures, we've had successes, then I think that that's how Cloudwork should be run. Now, I've heard from others who do similar things to you or have done it that it used to be easier in a way. That means there was a time, I would say 25 years ago, there was the Askin or the Stradlin. If it was a good or the OU or another organization, they came in and said, this is who we're voting for, gentlemen. And everyone said, okay, Maury knows best or whoever it is. They were in charge. They told us who to vote for. A good didn't formally endorse. I don't think OU either formally endorses, but more or less the message was sent of, by whoever did that. And now there's so many within our own community, I wouldn't say competing interests, but people have different values. There's some people who will never vote for a left wing politician on religious grounds. There are some people who will say they're the politician who's best for our community vis-a-vis yeshiva or whatever it is. A, does it frustrate you that, that you can't just have that power of delivering a voting block like it used to be? And B is, what are your perspective on who's best for our community? Somebody who is morally uh, compatible with us? Somebody who's practically compatible even if their own morals are dubious? Two different questions. Two different questions. So I, I think that it, it, the, we stand on the shoulders of giants. We really do. There's a lot of people who, uh, Rabbi Sher, Rabbi Newberger, I mean, a lot of these people who were, who, anybody who's involved in the business of politics, just there's so many people you were, you were, who were really fundamental to this. I think that our work reflects the times. And I think that no politician would expect our community to vote in unison anymore. No politician would expect our community to be in, in sort of uniformity. But at the same time, what they would expect is if you want to counter the Twitter politician, the ones who spend all their time on, on, on social media, the ones who create this fervor but then don't ever show up for votes. I mean, there's politicians who have five, six million uh, followers who don't vote or have never passed a bill. So if you want to counter that, we have to show that we're a movement. And like other movements in the like other movements in America, they don't all they don't all speak or think in uniform ways. When we talk about other communities and other votes, whether you're talking about Hispanic community, talking about the African American community, they don't vote in uniformity. They don't vote for politicians in uniformity. But at the same time, they're viewed on key issues as having um, having uh, um, real passion about. It. So I think that if if yes, it's a bigger challenge. But I think that from 
Um, if we start to build not just around air to straw, but we build around voting issues like education, like security, like not messing with the community, like politicians not, not um, uh, attacking the community with impunity, I think those are the types of things that, that I, I do believe that, that um, will make the Oscars the job a lot easier if there's a movement behind everything. Do you do. deliver a voting block? Do politicians look at you and say, oh, more can deliver the votes? No, but politicians look at me and say, I can make introductions in the community that are pivotal and critical to the work that they do. And I think that, that, that if I'm one person and one person doesn't do it anymore, not just in, from 20 years ago in the from community, but in politics, it's not as powerful as it. Maybe like an Al Sharpton is one of those yes. people who's perceived like that, but very few people can even do that anymore. And I don't think Al Sharpton can even do it. Right. I, I noticed one day you changed your title. You went from being maybe chief of staff of the Orthodox Union yeah. to teach NYU. Was that a strategic thing to leave the OU off the label again about, because of politics? To make it broader, to make it more more focused on education. What, what, what was it, that about? It was it was <laughs> there's a new leadership within the OU, and I was doing that position just for temporarily, like basically for a year or so. I was doing it, so, you're, so I'm no longer doing that position. You're still um, with the OU, I'm just focused on education yeah. Yeah, just issues. Focus, yeah, on the education issues. Now, what's it like for you? We, we're Mishpacha magazine, and we don't label Jews and all Jews are holy, and we don't. By the way, any... now I'm if my in-laws or family find out that I'm no longer chief of staff at the OU, I'm in big trouble. So they, they is, don't know uh, that either. Yeah. So we need to get them to watch the <laughs> earlier part and press pause <laughs> exactly. right before this. Edit a little bit. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Um, more, you're still with the OU. I'm you're still with the OU. Great. I love the OU. We're still with the OU. If not for the OU, I wouldn't be able to do anything I do. Right. No, they're very proud of you too. As they should be, the we don't label anybody. There's no types of juice. We don't check anybody's titus. That said, you live in Teaneck and you're identified on a personal level with the modern Orthodox community. Yes. Let's say, I don't know if your shoes show up on camera, but if anybody saw your shoes, they would know that clearly. At the same time, you work, you represent the Hasidish community and you represent the Yeshiva community. What's what's first of all? Tell me about your alliances with the, with the right wing Haredi world, which which are many and deep. You don't have to say names. I know you work very closely. With. Let me tell you, say something first off that the so I grew up. Um, in the yeshivish community. I grew up wearing, wearing a black hat. I grew up going to yeshiva. I went to Mosdos. I, I, I went to... Um, Mosdos in Cleveland. Mosdos in Cleveland. I went to the Hebrew Academy in Cleveland also. I learned in the yeshiva greater Washington. I, I grew up I grew up yeshivish. And um, I think that that's something that I'm very, very lucky because, yes, I, I would identify myself as a modern Orthodox. I'm married to a Sephardic um, woman, so I, I feel a Sephardic woman who, who is a first-generation Israeli. So I feel very, very fortunate because I have at least three viewpoints, I believe, in my life that I see myself on. The one I don't have is being Hasidic. And that one is, I actually think that I do extremely well with the Hasidic community because I walk in every time I do a meeting and I say, my last name's Litvak, I'm not trying to be a Hasid. <laughs> and you want to work with me, you want to work with me. At the end of the day, people have to see... After the Muncie attacks, I'll never forget being in, in the, 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 the horrible knife, knife stabbing in Muncie. I'll never forget watching a basketball game my son was in where a very modern Orthodox crowd in Teaneck and Anglewood. And I'll never forget kids walking around bringing um, like, like bracelets that they were selling to support the Muncie, you know, something in the Muncie tragedy. And then I was at North Shore Academy, um, which was a, is a modern Orthodox institution. And I was there recently, and they were telling me they had a cybersecurity attack. And they were telling me how a yeshivish school came to their school in the front and was, I don't know if it was they were, they, were, they were singing or they made a celebration for the kids or something like that. When the chips are down, Jews are Jews. 
And it's just absolutely. Right. I'm asking a totally different question. I'm not asking about achdos, and I know that. I'm but asking, but that must make my life easier to, to do it. So how do I do it? How do I operate within those? I'm rooms? asking something totally different. I'm yeah. saying uh, you're a college-educated fellow. Yes. Um, at the same time, I'm sure that at the highest levels of government, you get pushback about yeshivas and the general education, and then the efforts made to undermine the education, and you have to defend yeshivas. 100. How yeah. are you able to put your heart into a cause that lavdaka that you don't completely believe in? You probably think that they should upgrade their, their things, and you went to college, and at the same time, you're defending satmar. And saying they have their right, you need to have the passion of a satmar chassan. You're not a satmar chassan. My question is, how do you, how are you able to defend it eloquently and passionately, if your heart is not? Unless I'm wrong, maybe your heart you believe, is it because you don't want the government mixing in? Like, how do you defend that cause? And I know that you're a defender. Right. So I, I, I first off, the opponents of that cause have made it extremely easy because, <laughs> and I'll put this on the record, which is, and I've said this many times to politicians and others, is that you see and notice in their rhetoric that it's not about the education issue, it's, it's about shaming and naming the facetious world, and, the, and, and, and that becomes a very dangerous game for the firm world in general, because once you start with that, it, it never ends. So the objective is not simply about education and the facetious world, it's, 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 it's about embarrassing and showing, exposing light in a negative manner. As if like, the Hasidim are primitive correct, and archaic. Correct, And so, so, and I... And the politicians accept that argument? No, they don't. No, your argument. Oh, you, my, po- po- yeah. that, this, that, the, that, that the opponents are doing that? I th- every, politicians that I've spoken to about this, I think, fall into two camps. There's people who, who sight unseen believe the narrative without going into the actual yeshivas. And I think that there's other p- politicians who who have taken the time to, to get to know the Hasidic communities or taken the time to know this. And they know, they, if you go and you say, here's my issue, and, the, and, and, he, and lay out the facts, that's one thing. If you go in and say, here's my issue, these people are horrible people, and let me give you a litany of why they're horrible people, I think you're exposing your own prejudices. And, I, and this, the, 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 those involved in this cause, I think, have a long history of doing that. I think that the, 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 it is impossible for me to give the viewpoint of a Bell Chassid in Lakewood, or a, a, um, a someone in the Sommer community, or uh, or what's going on with the Bubba camp in Pennsylvania, I cannot do that. It's not going to happen. Just similarly, as I can't figure out how to represent properly the Boca Raton Mon Orthodox community, what's going on there? I, I believe that the the role of a national organization. This is what's been I've been taught by people like Moish Bain, who in the OU and other people I look up to, which is a national organization's role and responsibility is to partner with local organizations. An organization like the Orthodox Union has to partner with local communities. And when we do public policy or we're working with communities, you must have conversations. But I always extend to people that they have to be those representative voices as well and show what, what's happening with a small 200-person community in Lake, Bell's community in Lakewood or what's happening with Bubba in Pennsylvania or things like that. I'm limited to that. Anybody who tells you in Clawwork that they can represent and speak on behalf of every community they understand each of the issues is completely lying to you. Every community is different. There's 40 different strains of modern orthodoxy. There's how many strains of the yeshivish world. So it's, it's, it's impossible to do that. The goal, though, is to get as close as you can to that by showing this is what I have to offer, this is what I need from you. Partnership. But you have a lot of personal relations with politicians on the ground as well. Yes. As well, I should mention to our viewers, an uncanny ability for picking election results ahead of time. I don't know if you ever took it to the betting game, but you're good. We've, we've had conversations, and you usually call it right. The uh, Let's use an example of the New York City mayoral election right. right now. There's two very, very dynamic Hasidic groups supporting opposite candidates, right? You know, you have a big endorsement for Yang, 
that came from one Hasidic okay. community, another one for Adams, I believe, that came from another. Does that serve anybody? Is that... Well, first off, I think we got to have hats off to anybody who's not in the Hasidic world or if you're not part of those groups in Brooklyn. The fact that the mayoral candidates, at least three or four of the mayoral candidates, have as their Jewish representative a Hasidic rep is insane. That is a hats off to the Hasidic world for being so politically active. It's just, it's amazing. Any, any, anybody in particular that you credit? For so that? For I, I, I think that there's a lot of, um, there's just a lot of um, work and responsibility to get on these, um, the local district level and to take the time of politics. People come to me all the time and say, how do I get to know Congressman so-and-so or President so-and-so? You start by getting on like a Republican committee or Democrat committee locally and you work your way up. The Hasidic world is, is extraordinarily talented at starting from an absolute nothing and building into multi-billion dollar business. I think they're doing the same thing in politics. They're starting very small, becoming district leaders, building things up and becoming forces to be reckoned with. So I, I think that the what's happening, there's two leading mayoral candidates right now, Andrew Yang and Eric Adams. Who's going to win on the record? On the record, who's going to win? I can't. You can't do it. I can't do it. Okay. Yeah. I can't do it. But the, the, the two leading candidates are Eric I Adams. Think I know what you think now. The two leading yeah. candidates are Eric Adams and Andrew Yang. These candidates have expressed multiple times their positions on, the, on, in, on yeshiva education, multiple times their position on a bunch of different issues. That's great. That's a dream. Right. You see that there's, a, okay, in New York City, the, the Hasidic, whether you call it a block or you find that anti-Semitic, the fact is that the Hasidic community holds sway. They, they are, they're engaged voters. Right. But you see that they're, they're really working hard to... Right. And it, it, I think it's very good for politics that in Brooklyn, they're all fighting over whether endorsements are real or not or whose endorsements. That's good. That's politics. That literally happens all the time in America. The fact that they're doing so that you see is the whole amazing. thing is positive. It's I mean, amazing. People are engaged. Whether or not Bob and Munkach agree yeah. doesn't really make a difference. You're just proud of the fact that people are engaged. 100%. Every it's community nice. in the country should, should model this and, and Okay, and but what would you advise somebody who's in, a, see, in New York, even though you've got left-wing politicians, left-leaning politicians or progressive politicians, that we have enough of a voting block or... You know, there's enough numbers to justify their time. I live in Montreal, let's say, which is extremely left-leaning, and the politicians are progressive, and we don't even have the numbers. So what, what, what could somebody do there? You're Orthodox Jew. You care about the Orthodox causes. You care about the Torah. But you really have no, no, nothing to offer. I think it's, people have to... Or in America, if you're living in a democratic state, and you don't have the numbers. Right, so politicians care about one thing. I don't know an example of that. Yeah, go ahead. They only care about getting elected. That's all they care about. There's only three ways a politician can get elected. They get elected by, by having the votes to get reelected. They get elected by raising money that helps them fund their campaigns to get elected. Or they get elected by having a good issue that gets them reelected. So any constituency, any group in, in the history of politics looks at themselves and says, which of those three things that, that, uh, do I possess uh, in order to engage with a politician or someone running for office? I think when you're in a smaller community, you have to have a good issue uh, Give me an example. I think if, 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 if security is your issue, don't be naive and say with a 200-person shtiebel, you're going to be able to tackle a security on the issue. Go speak to the, the, the other faith groups in your local area and see if you can get people together. If you're you living, find an issue that yes. brings you together with others. And, 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 and find an issue that brings you together with others. Don't underestimate your actual voice because your voice may, you may actually be good at it. So a surly is much going to be much better at doing this than someone who's never had talked for a living or talk to anybody. So you have to actually know, have something to say and, uh, and have a, a good constant issue. Don't walk in the door and basically say, I've got 200 Jews here. I've got uh, a bishop so-and-so. I've got imam so-and-so. And we, we need $50 million for such and such. Start, start with something. Like, know what you're doing. 
And it's very similar to anything else in Cloudwork. You want to get a shul started. You want to get a mikvah built. You want to do anything else like that. You start small and build the seeds. It's, it's not that complicated. But, but I think people are underestimating their voice if they start to collaborate with other groups. But I'm, I'm hearing from you something else, which is that a politician who's a progressive politician, whose personal choices in his own lifestyle, where the things he supports don't reflect our values, isn't a problem, per se, as long as he's, on a, on a political level, delivering the, the, the causes that we hold there. So I think... Others oh, disagree with that. No, right. So I, I th- look, I think that the... the a lot of thought... This is a Hashkafa question. Yes, yeah, a Hashkafa question. And a lot of thought goes into when we're taking policy positions and who we're aligning with us. A lot of thought goes into that. And we asked a lot of people about that. So obviously I have the... I have our, our Hashkafa opinion that we asked... But the OU has a Hashkafa question yes. on this? Do you have Rebbe and people you speak to or consult with regular? So I speak to... We speak to Rebbe Hauer in the OU. And then historically speaking, I've spoken to other people depending on the issue. Is there a politician in America currently that you look at and you say, that politician, be it a mayor, a senator, a governor, and his constituency, that's a role model of a relationship between the religious community, the Orthodox community, and a politician? They say, that, that's, that one's working great, he's great. I think Governor Murphy is like that. I think that the, that relationship has been very, very good for the community. I think that one has been Where good. you have an example of a progressive left politician who has been friendly to the community right. and understands the community. I think so. Yeah. I think, I think that's one example of it. I think the other... Another example of that on the right is, is you ask for just left or you ask for anybody? I'm asking in general that you say it can be done. So you're saying Governor Murphy is an example of where a politician who respects his constituency is able to work with... Yeah, I would, look, I would say that the, the Governor Murphy is one. I would say that Governor DeSantis is another one. I think Governor that, DeSantis. DeSantis. I think on, those, on the right and left, I think those are, those are two examples where the community has done Do such... Do you see them as future presidential contenders? I see Governor DeSantis as a future presidential contender for sure. I think with Biden and Kamala Harris there, I think it's a very hard path for Governor Murphy to see himself as a presidential contender. Right? I mean, he may be a presidential I, contender. I interviewed him, as you know, yes, last week. Yes. You, you helped me prepare. And he said, no, it's not true. He's never running. Others said, of course he's running. I think, you, I think every, any, every politician dreams of the ultimate job. Really? Every politician. If someone's running for county council or city council, they're all dreaming of being of being uh, president. Really, everyone wants to be the Goddard door. Everybody wants to be the Goddard door. So this is the, for them for politics. That's they're the always door. thinking long. One hundred percent. Any politician telling you that otherwise is lying to you. Really, they always have dreamed of that. That's the ultimate. That's the ultimate job. And if you read, you think the Santa's going to run against Trump if Trump comes back in twenty four? I think it's going to be very hard for DeSantis or for Nikki Haley or anybody else to run against Trump. I think if Trump declares, I think he's just going to clear the field. Do you again. think he's going to declare? And I, run again? I believe Trump will declare. Yeah. And do you think he'll win? I, think I should go on the record as saying that Maury told me the night before this year's election that Trump wasn't going to win. And I know it got him in trouble. People didn't want to hear yeah. it, but you said it early. I think it's, it's very hard to unseat a sitting president, um, but everything we've seen over the last eight years just puts it all up for grabs. So I, I think that the, certainly I think that the midterms are going to be a bloodbath. I think the Republicans are going to retake the House. Really? So that's, that's what I, I, I would think would happen based on, I mean, there's, they have, they need, you, I think, five. I said on the show that you, you call these things right. Don't make me look bad. Okay, but there, look, there's five, there's five open seats. Uh, I, mean, I mean, they need five seats to win, I believe. There's 30 seats they're going after. And, and typically, those midterms are a complete bloodbath historically. Right. So I think they probably will take over. See, the American people like to get that out of their systems in the midterms and then reelect the president afterwards. Right. And um, it's very hard to see, unseat a sitting president, but... What Trump uh, has done defies all the history of political campaigns. It's, there's no, there's nothing like this before. Right. No, no, we've never seen anything like this before. So all bets are off. All bets are off. I mean, this is, 
I used to say, you know, you could compare it maybe to like Huey Long's run from Louisiana, or you could compare it to like Ross Perot, or you could compare it to something like that, but those guys Do lost. You find, we find the magazine a tremendous uh, sophistication in terms of the readers in regards to politics over the last few years. People really started to get politics. They got into it like sports. Yes. In the firm community. Is that, do you find that? Yeah, it's, it's sports for people. Is it a blessing to you or, or the opposite? It's horrible. It's horrible because everyone Actually, thinks they know better. It's, it's not just because everyone thinks they know better. It's, it's that people become fans of the Yankees, okay? People become fans of, of, I'm a fan of the Cleveland Browns. That's my team. I only root for one team, and that's all the Cleveland misery I can take. If you're really a fan of that football team, you take the time and energy to know all the historical wins and things. Any real fan of the Yankees can cite every victory, every Hall of Fame, or everything else like that. Why in politics don't you do the same thing? Why don't you take the time, if you're a Republican or a Democrat, to learn about the history of your candidates? Going back pre-Reconstruction, going back to the, to, to the Whigs and everything else like that. Like, Take the time and energy to learn about the politicians. The Whigs? Yeah. You lost me. It's, it goes back prior to the modern uh, day. You love this, day. right? Yeah, but you... Wigs, yeah. At the end of the wow. day, or the Federalists... Or so the you're saying if I want to yeah. be close to the Democratic thing and get to work, I have to learn about the Wigs? You should learn... Yeah, I think the fundamental thing, if Rory. you're in this to win it, if you're, in, if you're in it to win it, go learn. Do your history, because if you learn history... Rory. Yes, yes. Stop. The Wigs? <laughs> the Wigs? You should, you should... Okay. Yeah. You, 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 if you, if you want to be, if you want to be smart in this, in this business. You think the politician himself knows about the Whigs? The I candidate think, himself? I think the average, po- the, the politicians who are really at the best of their game know about everything that's ever happened. They know about, they know, they know about um, Truman's trying to stop union busting even though he was a Democrat. Okay, they Trump know, certainly does not. They know, they know about LBJ's Senate, Senate, uh, first Senate election and how he was Look at documented. Your eyes documented. light up. Look it at is. you. It's documented as probably a stolen election. Like there's all these things. You're on fire. Yeah, I mean, you, but you have to know these things because if you see these history and politics just repeats itself again and again and again. People look at Republicans and they love Republicans and they think it's basically the other side's wrong. People look at the Democrats, they love Democrats, they think the other side's wrong. But without the nuance or history of knowing that you've had presidential sides that have had positions on both sides again and again and again. The only truth is, is that whomever is in power makes decisions that impact their lives and we've got to get to know both. So That's it. So you're saying that even though people are engaged, they're really not that knowledgeable. In I, our I community, I think that a lot that, that people in our community, if you're if you're spending your time on Drudge Report or Huffington Post, or you're spending your time on Twitter following your favorite people, uh, your favorite media hosts, or you're listening to podcasts, or you listen to Ben Shapiro once a week, so you no, think you you're knowledgeable. To, you, you need to listen to both sides. You need to read. You need to get involved and, and do it. It's a disservice. Okay, so people are watching this at home and they're thinking, I really do want to get involved on the cloud. I have extra time. I have extra money. I'm very interested in politics. What could they do? Give me an easy. Stay at home, do it yourself tip that they can do to really get engaged and help the wider Jewish community. You should, you should get active in voting in your community. If you ask your community or you go to shul after you watch this. That's been your passion over the last 100%. Years. With you, success in the firm Yeah, I think we've had a lot of success on it. The key to our success with, with if, if, if you go to your community after this interview and you watch and you go and ask anybody at Kiddush or anywhere else and say, did you vote? A third of them will say they voted. Some of them will say, if you ask the question, did you vote, almost everyone will say yes. If you say to them, did you vote in every election in the last two years, three years, very few will say they did. And the elections that are extremely important for, for the community, local communities, are those local elections, the state elections, and things like that. If people want to get involved in politics, find out if your community is voting. And if they're not voting, either reach out to us, reach out to the good is doing great work on it, reach out to a lot of your groups who are doing great work on this, ask how you can get involved with voting. Because what you'll find is that is that you can convince people to vote. Everybody can convince 10 people to vote. 
Everyone convinced 10 people to show up to vote. We went into Williamsburg. We got a table. We sat there, and we registered within, I think, 48 hours, 2,000 people to vote. You went to Williamsburg yourself? Yeah. No, not my, myself. My team did. In Williamsburg? Yeah. And they welcomed you? I, I want to I don't, I represent myself as, as always doing the... the you know, it was raining a little bit of the day. I don't, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm on the Mishpacha TV show. I'm a star. You know, I can't, you're, you're you know, true. but the, 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 uh, yes, we, they welcomed us. We were totally fine with doing it. We had volunteers in the local community doing it with us because why weren't they? That's not me taking over Williamsburg or anything. And it made a big difference. You told me this year before the elections yes. in New York State, you saw that there was a difference 100%. in the, in the you, could, you could track it. In Florida, in Florida, uh, one of the, the Miami County board seats was won by a hundred or so votes. We literally are calling people, reminding them. If, if we've had, we've have, if, if you, the technology is out there now that a shul or school can take the list, put it through a database, and pull out everybody who hasn't voted to this point. Amazing stuff. We, we, we should be voting. So you want to get involved in it, turn people on to vote. I want to see it personal. If somebody's watching this and they want to reach out to you personally, they want to get involved. If you want to reach out to me personally, my email is mlitwack at teachcoalition.org. So I guess I give my cell also. It's probably a bad idea, right? First of all, you shouldn't give it your cell. Your email's fine. But there are people who want to do it. Oh, for sure. And if anybody wants to learn more about the wigs and the history, (laughs) by the way, this is this is I'm done. I'm I'm done with any payslip programs. I'm done with any scholar residence. Anything else, I'm done. You're done. Because people are like, that's the wig guy. Forget payslip program. You came into a chasna, I'm walking out. hundred percent. I'm done. I'm putting down my foot, I'm out. Gotta go out. That's it, yeah. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Love it. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thank you, Sully.